hear me? Great. All right, man, that song was good. I, that song gave me chills hearing y'all sing. Like, seriously, this place is loud. That's awesome. That's what worship's all about. Um, so I am a little unprepared, um, and I'll tell you why while I'm getting all of my stuff together. Um, here's a little bit of uh, Chad wisdom, because um, all of you guys are in school, and I'm sure uh, the vast majority of you are going to do more school after you get out of high school or middle school, whatever you're in, whatever you are in now. Um, don't do work at 3 a.m. in the morning and then try to come in the next day and expect it to look right because most of the time at 3 a.m. Your, your mind's not working right and I did that last night guys I was up this morning at 3 a.m. I'm unfortunately having to work night shift this week and I had my message it was like pristine it was perfect I had that when I do like when I prepare for things like this I put in like this weird format I'm weird but I put in this weird format I have parentheses for like where I want to throw in a, a lame dad joke or something and I don't have that with me. I sent myself the wrong copy. So you're going to miss out on some of my dad jokes tonight. But um, I'll try to bring them back at the next time. I know. I, and I, they're not stored in my head or anything. So um, I, I, it's an honor. It's an honor to be up here. Um, I, uh, I was going to come up here and try to be as Pastor Jesse-esque as possible. I was going to come in and have my shirt tucked in and and have a little brown Bible that's kind of like worn down. I do have a brown Bible. And, and, and Jesse, when he preaches, he likes to get like, it, it stresses me out. He'll get right here on the edge. I don't know how he does it, though. Like, he's, he's standing here talking to y'all. Jesse does like these really good hand motions, like very good hand motions. But he'll be standing here. I'm just waiting for him to fall off one day. But, but now, now that I've sent myself the wrong copy, um, and among other things, I'm not going to pretend to be Pastor Jesse today. I'm going to try to be myself. Um, but with that being said, I, I want you guys to know something before we really get into this. Um, how wonderful of leaders that you have here uh, with Miss Kathleen and Pastor Jesse. Um, I was in youth growing up in my hometown of Fitzgerald. Miss um, Malley was too. When I was in college, I did a lot of uh, denials. I didn't even know what denials were until college, and I started doing them. Um, and just seeing other pastor, like youth pastors and their wives, we have the best of the best. Um, so I just want you guys to always think about that and use them. They're here for a reason. They love you guys. Um, they do so much behind the scenes for y'all. Um, and that goes even to our leaders, too. Um, people in the soundboard, Mr. Corey back there blowing me kisses. I mean, um, so y'all utilize them. They love me. They're like, they're like parents to me and Miss Malley. Um, so uh, today we're talking about Titus. Um, Titus, it's been a while since we uh, talked about Titus. I don't know how many weeks has it been, Pastor Jesse, like five, four or five? It's been a while, okay? I know it was before we, we went to camp when Pastor Jesse was last in Titus. Um, and so because of that, I want to kind of bring us back to square one with regards to where we left off. Um, th do I have any history fans in here? Do y'all like history, like learning about history? Good. Gosh, that, that makes me so happy because I've been telling Miss Malley, I'm like, I'm so scared that I was going to bore y'all to death. So I saw a lot of hands. That's a good thing. The reason I asked that question is because before we even step 
into reading the scripture, we got to know what's going on in the background. We got to know what's going on historically, contextually, culturally at this time. Um, so that's where we're going to start. Titus is a really short book. It's only three chapters. Um, I should say a letter. Um, it's a book inside of our Bible, but it's three short chapters, but they really pack a punch when you get into it. Um, I'm not, I don't remember the questions that Pastor Jesse asks, but who wrote Titus? Paul. Cool. Does anybody remember like the time frame? 63? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, Mr. Can somebody? Yeah, there we go. So um, I'm not, this is just something I found, found on Google. So what, what you said, 63 to 68 AD, that, you know, it's around that time, 62, 64, somewhere in the 60s, okay? Um, and so what's interesting about this book is that, um, or about this letter, was that Titus was somewhat of a younger man when Paul wrote this letter to him. And Paul basically left Titus on this island uh, in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea called Crete. Um, guys, I'm a map guy. That's a cool map. I'd probably have it in my room if I was younger. Um, but so Crete's right in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. It's really beautiful there. I don't know if you've ever looked at Google at the Mediterranean Sea. It's, it's really awesome. Um, but Titus was left on that island to start, allegedly, a series of house churches there. Um, and what's cool about Crete is, like, it's very strategic, like, in terms of getting uh, people uh, to that island, from the island, getting resources. I mean, it was like a strategic location economically. Um, and for Paul, someone like Paul, he saw this as like, oh, yeah, that's where I need a church. That place is awesome. So uh, Titus was left there to start um, these house churches um, and then eventually broaden it out into, um, you know, larger churches. Um, so, like I said, we need to really understand not only geography, geographically where we are. That's not a word. Don't quote me on that. Um, but we also need to understand, like, culturally what's going on there. Um, and for us to do that, we have to start with mythology. So, does any, do y'all still take mythology in school? What is that, language arts? I see you're, you're shaking your head. I took it in, like, ninth grade, I think. Um, and at the time, I didn't really care for it. I still don't care for it. Um, but mythology was super important um, to, or it's super important to understand what was going on mythologically during this time. So the Cretans believed in, like, these gods that were elevated from man's status up to God's status. So, like, they were basically at one, per, at one time or another, they were, they were men and women, and through good services, good acts to mankind, they were elevated to, like, these deities. Um, and what's even, what is even more interesting is a lot of their gods, and I use that in the lowercase g sense, they thought that they were buried on, on the island. So, like, they were living in, like, this pristine island. Like, my God's buried here. Like, we're all alone. This is awesome. Um, so the Cretans, like I said, they, they truly um, enjoyed the idea of living on an island with their own gods buried there. Um, so, sorry about this. Um, so the majority of their gods, um, like I said, lowercase g gods, were, like, these, like, basically like these DC Marvel comic type gods, right? Like spears and like lightning bolts. Yeah, have you heard of Zeus? Zeus, 
So Zeus was like their main god there. Um, and this mythology was so entrenched in the culture that like in, in Paul's day when he was writing this, it was starting to infiltrate into the church, okay? This was bad news too because Zeus, Zeus isn't like the best person. He's not the best god. Zeus was known to seduce women, okay? There was actually a story I was reading where like Zeus became like he morphed himself. Oh yeah, that's Zeus. He's kind of cool. Um, but uh, yeah, not real. Not real. Okay, he's not a real guy. Um, but so there's this one story I was reading where like Zeus was uh, assumed like the form of a husband so that he could go after or pursue this lady, and she ended up turning him down. And so then he started like making all these lies up to her and stuff. Um, so at the end of the day, the seduction that he was trying to do didn't work. And so Zeus was a, a liar and a womanizer. Um, and so what's even crazier is that the Cretans immortalized him for this. They loved him. They were like, yeah, that's my God, right? Like a womanizer and a liar. Like, let's go after that. Um, and so they took pride in his shady character and his underhanded ways. So now you kind of get a taste of what Paul and Titus were dealing with, okay? Um, the people themselves weren't any better, okay? You know, you follow a God like that, you worship a God like that, you're going to do things like he does or like she does if it was a female God. Um, so uh, the people themselves were lying. They were self-indulgent. Um, they were just an immoral group of people. And it's funny, there's actually a word. It's called kritizo. Kritizo. Um, I don't know if it's kritizo or kritizo, but it was actually a word to be called a liar. So like people would go around and call you like a kritizo. That means they're calling you a liar. And it's based off of Crete, uh, the island Crete. So um, the men there, they were like known for violence. They probably looked like Zeus. They were into like mercenary soldiers. They were, they were like a war fighting machine. Um, the women though, this was really interesting. The women were known as like the new Roman women. Um, and these, these women enjoyed a greater deal of like privileges than what other women in society at that time were offered. So like they were able to go off and like shirk off their freedoms that they had. And they kind of left the home behind their kids and their husbands. And they were off just going out, having, you know, casual sex, worldly appetites, just fulfilling all that stuff. Um, and when you start looking at like how their lives were, you start seeing Zeus in these people because they were following Zeus. Um, so aware of this context, Paul set out to refute the idea that, you know, the Christian God was cast in any form of image like Zeus. Um, and this is where we get this letter here. Um, Pastor Jesse went through Titus chapter one with us, like I said, a few weeks ago. And you can, you can start seeing, like, I have some homework for you guys. Tonight, when you go home, go read chapter one of Titus. It's super short. It'll take you five minutes. Um, but you'll start seeing, like, these, these verses that Paul laid out where he's, like, defending the Christian God's honor, like, saying he's not a liar. And, like, in the background, you know he's talking about Zeus. So it's really cool, like, when you start getting into the context, when you start looking into the background of these letters in the Bible, you start, it, it's like unveiling a whole new world where you start truly understanding what was going on here. Um, 
So like I said, in the midst of all this, Paul is playing churches. He leaves behind Titus, who was a younger man. Um, and, and Titus was a leader, okay? Titus was a really good leader at that. Um, and Paul left him behind to set in place many things in the church on Crete. Um, like I said, remember, during this time, there's these false teachers that were starting to infiltrate the church. And actually, in verse 16 of Titus chapter 1, Paul lays out what the false teachers were. Um, he says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. That doesn't sound good, right? Um, don't want to be in that group. So Titus was to be an example of good deeds. He must teach sound doctrine. And what's interesting, when we dive into this text here in just a minute, you're going to see various groups that Paul is referencing to Titus to teach to. You're going to see older men, younger women, younger men, slaves. Um, I don't know if I said older women, but older women are in there. Um, and it's really cool because you start seeing where like Paul was like trying to like pull these people back from the cultural context that was getting wrapped up uh, in the church. Um, and, and so we start seeing Titus teaching sound doctrine. This, this stuff is very applicable and practical to us today. Now, everything in the Bible is applicable and practical to us. But guys, this stuff tonight is like, man, it's black and white for you. It's, it's very applicable. Um, so I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. When we get towards the end today, I'm going to wrap things up and try to tie it into to, to modern day. But for now, I wanted to give you a background context of what was going on because it's super important to understand why these 10 verses are written the way they are. Um, sound, sound doctrine, man, uh, is, is super important, and um, that's what we're going to be looking at. So if you don't mind, stand with me really quick. Um, we're going to read verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2 of Titus, and I'm reading from the ESV, and it goes like this. It says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, non-argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. I'm going to pray for us really quick. Father God, thank you for this uh, night. Thank you for allowing us to gather uh, in worship of you. Um, I just pray, God, that as we go through Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, Lord, that you just open our hearts, help us put everything that's going on in our lives behind us and just focus on you for a few minutes. And we give all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty, you may be seated. So I know that was a lot. That was probably way more than Pastor Jesse uh, does from a context standpoint, but it's been a while. All right, do I still have y'all's attention? Clap your hands twice if I do. Check. 
All right, cool. Um, so we're going to step through these 10 verses, all right? Um, but it's important to get through them, so, so hang with me because it, it's all going to tie in at the end. So verse 1 says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Um, Titus here is to be in contrast with everything that the false teachers are referencing, okay? Remember I said the false teachers had, had infiltrated the church. Um, if you look at chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, it, Paul says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Um, so as for you here, but as for you, that teach what accords with sound doctrine, that's important, okay? Sound is an important word here. Uh, sound doctrine here can be translated to healthy doctrine. And that doesn't mean like free from physical sickness. What it really means is free from spiritual error. So that's like the lifeblood of the Christian faith is to have healthy doctrine, okay? Um, in, in Chad's definition, if I had to translate that into the, the Chad um, version of the Bible, it would say promote the kind of living that reflects the right teaching. Um, so it made me think about this. Like when I was younger, um, my sister, who was basically like my mom, if I was ever doing something wrong, she would say, I didn't raise you that way. Why are you doing that? And it just made me think like you weren't brought up that way. I, I don't know if y'all have ever had that said to you before, but it's the same way with scripture. Right? Like right teaching leads to right living. Um, and we really can't escape that sound doctrine that's in the Bible. Um, the Bible tells us really that if we are to live as Christians, it is hypocrisy for us to say that we believe the words of the book, but that we don't really live them all out in all areas of our life. Um, man, we need this now more than ever in like modern day life for us. We need to follow sound doctrine. We need to be taught sound doctrine. Um, you know, there's a lot of false doctrine to sift through out there. Um, Pastor Jesse says this a lot. Don't ever take his word for what the Bible says. Don't take what I'm saying tonight. Please don't take what I'm saying tonight to heart. Go home, read it for yourself, read chapter one, read chapter two. Um, that, that is, you know, that's super important to get the sound doctrine from the word itself. Um, that word accord there, that means to be harmonious, to be consistent with. But as for you, don't be like the false teachers, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. All right, verse two, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. All right, so that's a lot, right? Um, first off, before we get into it, Paul addresses older men first. Paul was probably in that group of older men here. Paul was in it probably in his 60s right here. And so we see six qualities that older men were supposed to exhibit. They're supposed to be sober-minded. That's basically like the translation is to be free from mental and spiritual drunkenness. Um, think of the imagery to that. Uh, to be level-headed, level self-controlled, um, just to be focused, okay? Dignified, worthy of respect, honor, okay? Someone who begs admiration from others. Um, think of someone you've, you've seen or hear that's like dignified. Um, to me, I think of like kings or queens where they're just like, you know, sitting there. Um, I think of Jesus. Jesus was dignified um, among all of these other things too. Um, Paul says they're supposed to be self-controlled, not getting mad too easily, right? Controller of emotions, 
sound in faith. There's that word sound again. Um, healthy, healthy faith, free from error. Um, so two things that jump out at me in this verse. Um, the first thing is like a lot of these words kind of elicit or pull out um, patience to me. Patience. And there's a fun, there's a really fun Greek word that I got to learn. It's called hupomone. I don't know if y'all know that word, um, but I've been saying hupomone a lot in my, in my uh, um, head. But that means steadfast and active endurance. Um, most of the time we hear this word, we think about not getting mad, like waiting in the Chick-fil-A line for our milkshakes or something. But what this is really talking about is active endurance. And if you read other, if you read other um, uh, letters from Paul, you see a lot of stuff about like athleticism. And this is what we, what we see here, the quality of the marathon runner to finish the race. Paul loves to use that stuff in his letters. Um, the second thing you see is that, uh, once again, Paul is telling Titus to teach these groups what is harmonious, what accords with sound doctrine. Um, so think about that. He's teaching somebody these things. Those, so obviously those things don't come naturally. It doesn't come, it's not natural for you to be dignified or sober-minded or self-controlled, to be sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Um, so think about that. He's teaching them that. That doesn't come naturally. Um, do you have anyone in mind right now that fits into this category for older men? Um, you know, don't, don't yell it out loud, but this, you know, this isn't the old man in the beginning scenes from the movie Up. I don't know if any of you guys came to see the movie Up. The old man was just all grouchy and stuff. Um, maybe at the end he had a change of heart. But this is someone that's admirable, an older gentleman, like you would want to follow this man into battle. You would want to you know, have him go to bat for you. All right, so that's older men. All right, I'm going to skip and go through verses 3 through 5 really quick. So verses 3 through 5 says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So we see the word likewise here. So just like older men, older women were to exhibit similar qualities. Um, they're supposed to be reverent in behavior. That's like a holy woman. Um, notice two attachments to this. It says not slanders. Um, so basically that means like that prohibits the verbal assassination of someone's character with your words. Um, what's interesting here is that the term used in some of the older text is actually diabolos. I don't know if any of you know what that means, but that means devil. Okay, so the ultimate slanderer is the devil, and Paul was saying, hey, don't be the devil. Don't talk about people bad, right? Don't spread rumors of people, gossip. Um, and it, it made me laugh because I was talking to somebody at my work about this as I was preparing for this, and they had a comment that said something along the lines of, yeah, women do that a lot. They slander a lot. And I said, you know, I'm standing here in a group of men, and I said, y'all slander way more than any women that I know. Um, so it's funny. It's funny. A lot of this stuff doesn't just go along with women. It goes to men too, but think of the context. Think of the women at the time in Crete. They were following Zeus. They were, going, they were the new Roman women, right? They were doing all these things, so it was really applicable for him to say that here. Uh, slaves to much wine. They were going out and, and getting drunk on wine. Um, so it's interesting. It says um, they are to teach what is good and so train the young, the young women. 
Um, so these are like older women stepping out, and Paul is telling Titus to teach the older women to teach the younger women, right? Um, that's cool. Like, I came in today uh, to do band practice, and we had um, some, some of our ladies here doing a Bible study back there. Um, that's kind of emulating what is going on here. What Paul was looking for is older women to teach younger women in the ways of good and sound doctrine. Um, obviously, I know, like, the vast majority of females in here are not married yet. Uh, that's a good thing. But we see here that, um, you know, Paul is talking about um, being, um, I lost my spot, um, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, Paul right there is not saying that women can't go out, that they have to be at home all day long, right? What he's saying, though, is in the context here is these women were going out and not doing anything at home. Man, women have a natural... They're just wired to be able to care for children and to care for the family. And that's awesome because Miss Mally, as we prepare to bring a baby into this world, I thank God for that because I'm going to be scared being left with that baby but the first time by myself. Like, I don't think I'm wired that way to be that. And so it's cool because Paul is, you know, he's saying for them to be working at home, to be kind, submissive to their own husbands. That's not saying for husbands to coerce wives they're to be submissive they want to be they should be willing to submit to their husband to follow him um so that's some cool stuff in there um and and then the the ending of this i want to make sure that you under uh, that we talk about this really quick all of that is said verses three through five and it ends with this uh that the word of god may not be reviled write that down if you're taking notes write that down that's important i'm going to come back to that in a little bit are y'all still with me? I'm looking on time. Wow, I got to speed it up. Okay, verse 6. Um, we see uh, verse 6 says, Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Younger men, that's a lot of us in here, right? Paul only uses one word, self-controlled. That's interesting. How many of us in here have not been self-controlled in their life? Especially as a young man, man right here. I'm right here. Um, he emphasizes self-control to be on your best behavior. Um, <laughs> I was thinking, how many time, How many of y'all were told that, that, like, before you got dropped off at church, hey, you better be on your best behavior, right? Uh, yeah, Mr. Corey back there, right? But it goes beyond that. We're to be self-controlled in all aspects of life with what we're doing, with what we're thinking, what we're looking at. Um, you know, to not be slave to something else. Titus is to teach the younger men this. Titus has a duty to preach the word of God in such a way that younger men understand what is required of them. Um, verse 7 and 8, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. So it's interesting. We started out with older men, right? And then we go to older women in verse 3 through five, we talk about younger women, we talk about younger men in verse six. Verse seven, who's Paul talking to there? Well, he's talking to Titus himself. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Following in the footsteps of what he wrote about the younger men, show yourself, Titus, the most important thing for you to be is an example be a model of good works. 
Paul has three separate items regarding Titus's teaching here. It says to be uh, to have integrity, which means not being in corruption, dignity, which indicates seriousness and holiness, and sound speech. We, we hear that word sound again, sound, healthy speech that cannot be condemned. Um, so why so little instruction here? Because others would learn the most from watching how Titus lived his life. Paul throws the hammer down here. It's a mic drop. He was making his way to his point. There's a reoccurring theme that we keep seeing here so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. No grounds for condemnation by the way we live. You've got clear evidence in your life that you're living for Jesus. Um, (laughs) It made me think, uh, there used to be this show on TV I'm not advocating for you to watch this show, but it comes on a lot, so you've probably seen it, but Cops. Okay, I love watching Cops because they'll pull this guy over and they, they you know, get him out and they pull out, like, some drugs or a, a illegal gun or something. He's like, hey, that's not mine. I, did, I don't know how it got in my pocket, okay, but it's not mine. Um, no grounds for condemnation. That's how our lives should be. There, an opponent so that an opponent may be put to shame and have nothing evil to say about us. We should strive to be like Jesus. We should strive to be like Jesus, who at his trial, his accusers had to make up lies about him. They had to make up these accusations that would eventually lead to his death. But if anyone should make an accusation about us, make them lie. Make them lie about you. We need more of this in in the church today. We need more Christians. We need more students more adults, more everybody to stand up, to believe in Jesus, and to live their lives for him. We need this 24-7. We need it not just on Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings or when your mama and daddy are around. We need it 24-7. Paul in 1 Corinthians, another letter that he wrote in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 11, say, be imitators of me as I, as I am in Christ. We should be as bold as that to have people follow us as we follow Christ. People are always watching you. Don't think they aren't watching you because they are. High schoolers, middle schoolers are looking up to you. Middle schoolers, elementary school people are looking up to you. And sometimes high schoolers are looking down at you the way you're at at your life. Um, KFBC youth, that's all of us in here. Your school is watching you when you go to classes. You probably have some KFBC gear on. They're looking at you. They know know which church you go to so that an opponent may be put to shame. Adults in the room, I'm talking to myself. People know where we go to church. How are we acting outside of church? How do people view us? All right, two more verses. Verse 9 and 10 says, Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Uh, Bond servants. Anybody know what bond servants is in this context? Just curious. What do y'all think? Slaves, right? Another Pastor Jesse term. He's used it before. Doulos, the standard term for slaves. Um, That's a Greek term, so you you learned some Greek tonight, doulos. Um, Titus was to teach bond servants about their specific duties as Christians. Um, that's kind of cool. So think about this, guys. Christian communities back then, you would have a congregation, a house church, maybe a, a, a congregation like this, 
And you would have slaves and you would have their masters sitting side by side as one in the body of Christ. Um, and that just blew people's minds back then. It blew the Romans' minds. Um, slaves brought together as equals in the body of Christ. Um, see a funny word here, pilfering. Pilfering means stealing. That's like skimming from the top. Um, so bond servants, slaves, doulos are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, don't steal, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Adorn the doctrine. Adorn, that means to wear. That means basically like they go out, they're wearing something that's visible for other people to see, that they're different. Um, to be well-pleasing in all things, hard work and humble submission. It decorates the doctrine of God with how we live. The gospel is beautiful in itself. The gospel is so beautiful, but when you wear it, when you live it out, it makes it that much more beautiful. So these 10 verses, we see what was going on, right? They were a calling for Titus to teach these believers how they should live. The gospel was looking pretty unattractive at this point because of the false teachers and, and all of that cultural stuff that was going on in Crete at the time was starting to infiltrate the church. Um, and uh, it was giving the watching world the opportunity to insult the word of God. That's why we see this here. We, we see Paul repetitively say um, to adorn the doctrine of God so that uh, the, the sound speech cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame. Belief in Jesus was totally divorced from behavior in both private and public life, so unbelievers were turned off from the gospel, and rightly so. Why would people reject Zeus, you know, cool buff guy that wasn't real, in favor of Jesus if there was no compelling evidence of transformation in the lives of Jesus' followers? So we get this urgent letter from Paul to Titus instructing him to straight up clean house. Okay. You look at chapter 1, he's telling them how to find men to lead in the church. We see here him teaching different groups of believers about how we should be living. Um, to, you know, he told Titus to kick out and rebuke these false teachers. Um, Paul says gospel belief should result in a new person where the older men and women are models of integrity and self-control for the younger the women should reject the alluring pool of the new Roman woman. Remember, they were going out doing all these crazy things in favor of godly faithful, faithfulness. Um, even the slaves, you know, as part of the household back then, the slaves should honor their masters and refuse to participate in anything that would cause the gospel to get a bad reputation. So do we get it? Like, we Christians and believers in Christ we should live the exact opposite of what the Cretans were during that time. And if you really look at it, the world outside of our church now isn't much different. Now, I'm, not, I'm sure you're not going to go out and find people that are like looking at Zeus and, and doing all these things. I'm, you will find that. There's, there's a lot of people out there. Um, but you're not going to see as many, right? Um, but the world is not much different than what's going on here in this text con contextually. Um, they were to live in a way that made Jesus compelling to the watching world. And how, how true is that today for us? 
in the world that we live in now, how true is that? Um, even some folks, like, we have this even in, like, our own church in America. I mean, it's, it's infiltrating in our church now. The culture that is going on outside these doors is infiltrating our church. So we should be followers of the word. It's hard, right? I mean, how can, this, how can we do this? How can we live in such a way that, I get my words mixed up. How do we, how do we live in such a, a, a world that's so similar to the Cretans where we live a, a life that is based on the gospel? But that's where the, gospel, the beauty of the gospel really takes over. The word tells us that the only source powerful enough to change people like the Cretans and to change people like me and you is the transforming love of God and what he did through Jesus, through the empowerment of the Spirit. So when you, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you get the Spirit. Through that empowerment, people can really change. The Cretans changed back then, and you can change today. If you're sitting there and, and you realize that maybe I'm not living the best life, maybe I'm, you know, live in some of the ways that, that Paul was teaching Titus people how not to live, you can change today. You don't have to stay stuck in that, in that image. You don't have to stay stuck to your false God, whatever it may be. You don't have to conform to the culture around you. Paul says the gospel is powerful enough to transform someone into a new creation who then becomes an, an agent of change wherever they go. It doesn't have to be just on the island of Crete. It can be here in Kingsland, St. Mary's, wherever you live at. You don't have to retreat from the culture. You don't have to wage a war against it. All we have to do is let the grace of God, let the word of God train us, literally educate us on how we should live spirit-empowered lives. Um, and as you live these out, um, you'll declare how good God is with everything that he's done for us. You'll declare that to your family, your neighbors, your friends, your teachers at school, my coworkers, you'll be showing what true redemption is and you'll adorn or wear the gospel. Remember, adorn means to wear. You'll wear the gospel like a cool pair of new kicks or something. People can't take their eyes off of them. Showing the beauty of the message about our saving God is super cool. And all this stuff, like I said, is practical living is important. Um, now, I do want to say this really quick. So we see a lot of, like, training here where it was saying to be this and to do this. But the basis for Christianity is faith. And the writer of this letter, Paul, doesn't say with this letter that living a good life is what will save you, okay? In Ephesians 2, 8, let me turn to that really quick. Um, sorry, I didn't have that one marked. Ephesians 2, 8, Georgia Electrical Power Company. Right, Mr. Paul? Mr. Paul's saying right there. Ephesians 2.8 says, um, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Ephesians 2.8, He laid the foundation for what is true about the gospel, that faith in Jesus is of utmost importance, and from there... All of these things will flow. So all of these things that we talked about in verses 1 through 10 will flow by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So 
I want you guys to consider tonight where you are in your walk with Christ. Consider if you are being transformed by the world or are you being transformed by the word of God. Um, Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain the Lord. Be imitators of Christ, guys. The world needs it. You'll shine like the brightest light if you can adorn the doctrine of God that we see in, in his word. Um, show others how amazing our God is. We should, be, we should be so excited to stand out in the world that we live in today. Everything you do, reflect the gospel in a lonely and dark world. Guys, you have orange slips on your chairs tonight as usual. I challenge you, man. I challenge you to put prayer requests on that. If you're not living the way that the Word of God says that we should live as a, as, as a Christian, write it down. We pray for that. Whatever else you're dealing with, write it down. That, that basket should be filled every Wednesday we come up here because we all live in a broken world. We all have our own issues, okay? There's not ever a time that we don't need prayer. No, I'm, I'm, I'm that all the time, 24-7. So I challenge you, write something down, throw it in there. Um, I challenge you to read Titus chapter 1. Read the whole book. It'll take you like 10 minutes to read the whole book of Titus. Adorn the doctrine of God. Continue faithfully in everything for Jesus Christ. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to start uh, one more song of worship. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for just allowing us, once again, just to come together and be able to just dive into your word a little bit more. Um, God, I pray that we adorn your word, we adorn the gospel everywhere we go. Father, I pray that for kids, uh, for adults, whoever doesn't know Jesus, God, that you just change their hearts. You help bring us home to you. And Father, um, just help us be good examples. Help us be imitators of Christ in a lonely, dying, and dark world. And I give all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.